We are going to begin today a new series in the book of Judges, Judges found in the Old Testament uh, after the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and then you got Joshua and then Judges is right after that, before you hit first and second Samuel, we're going to do things a little bit different. I, we're we're introducing this whole time together, these uh, next 12 weeks today. So we'll read our passage in just a few minutes. If you want to sort of flip there and keep, you know, keep a finger right there on Judges chapter one, we will get there in a minute. But uh, let me share a few words of introduction to sort of get our bearings with this book. Uh, I, I'm sure uh, each one of us has a story to tell from this week, whatever sort of adventure you had, we each have something and we've probably been telling each other. Well, what happened with you? What? Oh, well, tell me what happened with you. How'd it go for you? How'd you get from point A to point B? We all have a story to tell for most of us. Uh, Tuesday went from at about 10 o'clock in the morning, went from business as usual to virtually a life and death mission to try to get to the promised land, if you will, of our residences, gather up our kids along the way, gather up what stuff that we happen to be able to get our car with us to getting home, getting located back where we live. For me, in the somewhat frustrating providence of God, I happened to be that day over at one of our sister churches all the way across town at Altadena Valley Presbyterian Church It's a pretty little church. And it's a nice little place. I've had meetings there regularly. I never really focused on the word valley in the title of that particular church until me and several hundred others were trying to uh, make our way, trying to climb up the hills surrounding the areas, conquer those enemy hills and to, to drive out of that area. I tried uh, Acton Road, which would have been horrific even if I had made uh, made it through to get on the 459 because all the folks I gather who made it to Highway 150 and were trying to make it back to this area didn't make it much further than that. Uh, the Lord redirected my path. I realized the error of my ways and tried to go up. And there's actually a hill I never noticed going over to the colonnade. Uh, the Lord's used different things in the scriptures to turn different people in a certain directions, a burning bush in some cases with Moses. In my case, uh, uh, an inflamed uh, Honda Civic, an inflamed Honda Civic right in front of me. And, and so that, you know, redirected me again. I thought probably best not to go that way with a burning car in front of me. And then finally came to another route that I thought could get in. The cars were by that time stacked like sardines right across parallel to the lane. So I, I did what maybe some others did. And just got out on foot, hitched a couple of rides on my way up to the Brookwood area, and then just hiked it all the way along to where Patience was, having gone to pick up my wife Patience, gone to pick up our youngest one over in the Sanford area, and hopped in the car with her, eventually made it home. Now, I know that's actually better than probably what a lot of you faced who spent your night on the office floor or were separated from kids, uh, you name it. But here's the interesting thing. If you look at the book of Judges, it's a lot like what we experienced this last week. The message of the book of Judges is very, very similar. Some parallels can be drawn. The people of God are trying to get home. They're trying to get to this land that God has designated for them. They're trying to make their way there. 
And as they are trying to get home, they don't always make the best decisions. They don't always make the right turns. And oftentimes they find themselves getting stuck. Uh, More than that, their tendency is to try to do it by their own power, like probably most of us tried, at least for the first part of our journey, to get somewhere with virtually useless automobiles on Tuesday. People of God trying to get their way by their own power instead of just walking, if you will, with the Lord to their destination. As they find their way blocked, like maybe some of us, they cry out to the Lord and say, you know, help me. I want to get through. I'm trying to get in the direction that you want me to at other places as a rescuer comes along. Like for me, an old lady that I virtually forced my way into her car of and drove me a a part of my journey. Those rescuers, you all probably had that experience or maybe you got to help rescue somebody. You said a big thank you. The people of God respond at points and have great thanks for God. And yet so much of what's in Judges on the surface looks chaotic, looks like the roadways of Birmingham the last few days. But we know as we see woven through threads of God's plan is being carried out in the book of Judges as well. So that's the book of Judges in a overarching perspective what i want to do right now is i just want to pause and pray for our time in god's word and then i'm going to give a few more words of introduction for a couple of minutes about some key themes in the book and and then one real hard issue that we need to kind of tackle up front and we get to the end of our time we'll actually read the passage for today and walk through a couple of application points from it so let's pray again together father we are thankful For your plan. And we're thankful, Lord, for your word. And as we kick off a series for the next uh, number of weeks through this uh, book, that's sometimes difficult to really understand and apply. And other times just is right, right where we need to be, Lord, and crystal clear to us. Lord, we pray that you'd give us insight, that you'd open our eyes and minds, that You'd be faithful to do what uh, your word says, that because your word is breathed forth from you, that it's useful for correcting, for teaching, for training in righteousness. Lord, use it in our lives that way, we pray today. Amen. Well, the book of Judges is a little confusing right out of the gate, isn't it? Uh, right off the bat, you're expecting Wapner or Judy or somebody from TV with a robe, black robe on to come walking out or maybe Thurgood Marshall or Scalia or somebody like that. Judges sounds to us like somebody that you go and you adjudicate a certain matter before in a courtroom. We find out real quickly that's not what a judge is in this sense. A judge is a deliverer, a rescuer, a redeemer, a, a lowercase s savior. Somebody who comes and helps those who are in need and usually conquers to do so. We also see that the title says judges, but we'll find real quickly that a lot of the real estate in this book, a lot of the chapters are covered by really three folks that are virtually household names, uh, Deborah, Gideon and Samson. But there's actually several others, nine 
that are listed, some of them only get one little verse, but they're judges as well. And if you want to track with it, you can look in the back section of your worship guide. There's a little note section. I put a little sheet where we actually listed out for you the different judges so you can get your bearings and know who those folks are. But there's actually 12 of them. And then and then we run into this snag. Anytime you read the Bible, it could be New Testament or Old Testament, especially the Old Testament. Whether we realize it or not, we're removed by at least three degrees of separation. Have you ever thought about this? It's God's word, so it speaks to us today. But in order to get the full impact of it, we've got to get past at least three things. One is that we're separated just by time. These things ha- happen in an ancient culture, ancient time, uh, long before us. So that, that separates us a bit from it. We're separated by culture as well. That could be the same today. If you went to another part of the world, they'd have different ways of doing things, different ways of talking about things, different ways of settling disagreements and so forth. So culture separates us from it. And then we're separated by geography, too, aren't we? A long way away. Some of these towns and places that are mentioned in the book of Judges are a little bit hard for us to understand where they are. But here's what's amazing. If we can, by faith, and we're probably going to need to each one of us pray and ask God each week to teach us. From this time in Judges, if we can can press through some of those barriers, we'll find there's some themes in the book of Judges that hit us right where we live, that are right at home for what we're dealing with in our lives and in our walk with the Lord. I put a couple of them down in your worship guide. I think they're listed in that back note section. You might want to turn there even if you don't normally uh, do so or use that to follow along in the sermon. And these are taken um, or derived, I guess you'd say, from a study by Tim Keller, a great, great Bible study on the book of Judges. But let me just list these and, and we're going to explore these as the semester goes on. But I want to whet your appetite for how this is going to apply to your life and to mine. Number one, we're going to see in Judges that God relentlessly offers his grace to people who do not deserve it, nor seek it, nor even appreciate it after they've been saved by it. Right? It'd be kind of bizarre to have somebody that maybe you had a chance to help and give them a ride this week and for them to just get out of the car and slam the door behind them and walk off without saying I appreciate it or thank you. That's what I do, though, in my relationship with the Lord. I need a God who relentlessly comes after me because I don't really appreciate all the grace that he's offered me. Second thing we're going to see as we walk through judges is that God expects, he demands, he calls us to recognize his lordship in every single area of our life. That's not bad when we uh, sacrifice for God, when we give our time, our energy we serve we give our resources for him but the scriptures always say it's better to obey than to sacrifice god really wants lordship of each area of our lives because his plan is good for us he's not an ogre in the sky by and by he wants to watch out for us and direct us third thing we're going to see is that there's a constant tension in the book of judges between god's grace and his commands his law between what he does and between our responsibility and it's, and it's going to be wild to watch how that plays out. We'll talk about that as we go through each week. The fourth thing, this one certainly hits home for us, is that spiritual decline, spiritual wandering is virtually inevitable. And so spiritual renewal is going to be a necessity for each one of us. Now, let me, let me pause here and kind of, kind of clarify 
The reality is, is the Old Testament people had the opportunity to walk with God. They had his commands, just like we do. Uh, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a fuller way in, in our time, but they had power from God to walk with him. And, and yet they opted not to. And the same is true for us, right? In theory, if you're in Christ, you could apply God's power, draw upon the Holy Spirit and walk with him in obedience, doing everything that he wants you to do each day and avoiding all the things that he doesn't want you to do. The reality is we don't do that. That's not what we actually do. So what that means is that we need to be constantly looking for spiritual renewal, constantly realizing that our wheels are going to be slipping and we are drifting off to the side of the road and need to be corrected. Even if we don't realize where the road went, what happened to the roadway? God's wanting us to get ourselves reoriented to him on a regular basis. So we're going to see that. Uh, The fifth thing. And we'll see is that we desperately need a savior. And we see that in judges through these lowercase s saviors, these judges, because they're going to point to God in two different ways. One, when they succeed, when they do amazing things, walking in faith or boldly trusting God or using their gifts for God's glory. When they succeed, they point. To Christ, who perfectly used all of who he was for our redemption and our salvation. And yet at the same time, you read just a few chapters in the book of Judges, and you're going to find there's some wild people. Samson was way off the beaten path at points, and they actually get worse and worse as the book goes along. The judges do, and the people do. And at those points, we're reminded that we need a Savior who's perfect and righteous, Instead of any human rescuer who would fall short of God's glory. And lastly, number six, we're going to see that God's in charge, even if it might not look like it at all sometimes. Okay? So I think, I don't know about you, but a bunch of those themes resonate with my life. Those are things I need to know. I want to be reminded of. I want to dive deeper into. And I hope uh, you all will as well in the upcoming weeks. All right. One thorny issue that we need to talk about today, and we'll kind of clear the air on it, and we'll just have to plow through it today, and then uh, hopefully we'll be able to just keep it in mind as we go forward and, and not always have to sort of cycle back to it. The fact is, judges, if you read it, you pick up and start reading this, if you've got little kids or grandkids or something, it is a violent book. It would be at least PG-13, if not R-rated, if you were putting it in the movie setting some of the descriptions of what takes place. And so if you're a, uh, a conscientious person, if you're a, a thinking you know, a person wrestling with God's word, one of the things that's going to come before you is the question, okay, how does this work? God has commanded these people to take this forceful action. At, at the very least, they're called to just displace these folks that are already located in this land Uh, At the most severe, they're at times killing people, even sometimes non what we would call non-combatants. What do you do with that? Even to, you know, in today's culture, certainly world opinion, the U.N. would get involved in a situation like is described in Judges. So how do we fit that into our understanding? Well, one uh, solution that people have had 
is uh, like like some folks would choose to do with other parts of the Bible that they have a difficulty with the resurrection or some of God's commands or the virgin birth or whatever miraculous workings. People have said, you know, I just I'm not sure I buy it. I'm just I'm going to put this aside. I'm not sure I believe that this is the way things happen or this is really God's truth. So that's that's one option that people have certainly pursued, especially as they've read these verses. The challenge is, of course, where do we even get our standard for what is right and wrong? For how to judge whether some actions by any nation, ancient or contemporary, how do we have a standard for what's the right way to to live? What's the just way to treat other people? The only way we have that is through God's word, God's truth. Otherwise, we just have man's opinion. So I think what we need to do, and and it'll be interesting each week, is to kind of resist the sort of, you know, knee-jerk reaction that we'll tend to have to some of the messages and some of the verses in this in this book. And instead to have, I guess, what I would call some historical humility uh, and to recognize a couple of things. One, God is telling his people to do this thing for a certain time. In a certain place, he's not willy nilly giving them carte blanche to go ahead and and just take over anywhere. And it, it's also going to be important for us to realize that just like today, if you said, hey, I want to take a look at what a Christian looks like. Let me show me the story of what uh, a Christian looks like. And they picked me or they picked you and wrote a story about us like the book of Judges would be. They're going to hopefully see some things that reflect Christ because Christ is working in our lives and the decisions we make and the actions we take. But anybody reading that story is also going to see some things that don't line up at all with what God wants Christians to be. I know that's what they'd read if they read my story and perhaps yours, too. And so as we read through the book of Judges, we got to realize that not everything that's described is prescribed. Not everything that we're told about is exactly what they were supposed to be doing. We're going to see that actually in our verses when we will get to them in a minute today uh, right away. And the last thing I want to say, and again, I'm just trying to address this on our first week, so bear, bear with me. The last thing that we need to say about this, too, even though it's a hard thing for us to probably hear and deal with, is if we've got a difficult time with Uh, the way that God responds in his wrath and in his judgment towards those who are outside of his kingdom in the Old Testament and that they're expelled from this land, we're also going to have a very difficult time. We need to figure out how to integrate that into our faith because the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, who's loving and gracious and merciful, also talks frequently about the fact that People outside of his kingdom who have not embraced him are going to be, if you will, uh, uh, jettisoned from the eternal life, the eternal promised land with him. So that's all part of the biblical message. It's just a little more bloody and graphic, if you will, in the book of Judges. Does that make sense? Okay. let's take a look at our verses for today. Uh, Judges uh, chapter 1, and we're not going to read all of this. We're just going to read a a few verses here and there. 
Judges chapter 1. We'll start verses 1 through 4, then 19 through 21, and then we'll hopscotch our way to chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So read along with me as I read aloud these verses. Judges chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Watch this. One of them is going to go out, go out bold. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that he, we may fight against the Canaanites. This is the buddy system, I guess. Bring Simeon along with you. And I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him and Judah went with and Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands. Jump with me on down to verse 19. What we're skipping over is some continued progress. Judah and Simeon continue to go forward, doing, trusting God, having his power to complete what they were really supposed to do back in the book of Joshua. And then we reach verse 19. It says, And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain, because they had iron chariots. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin and Israel to this day. M- mission not accomplished. Starting to slip on their goal. Jump with me down to verse 27. We're just going to hopscotch through. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants. And then the end of that verse, why? What's the reason from the vantage point of the people of God? For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in the land. Jump with me to verse 29. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants. And then it tells us at the end of that verse, but... Those people became subject, forced labor for them. So they took them on as sort of slaves or indentured servants. 31, Asher did not drive out. 33, Naphtali did not drive out. 34, the Amorites pressed the people of Dan back into the hill country. They would not allow them to come down to the plain. Now look with me at verse 1 of chapter 2. and We'll read just these three verses and then close up our time today by talking a few application points from this. It says, now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. Well, in the midst of the snowstorm, of course, we had to find something to do Tuesday night. We we're all exhausted and trying to get home, helping other folks out as we could. And then Wednesday night, sort of everybody, it seemed like, was pretty well getting home. So we sat down and we did what we rarely do, which is click on one of those on-demand uh, movies that was on. It was Captain Phillips. We had wanted to go see it in the Dollar Theater a couple of weeks ago, but we sat there and uh, my, my administrative assistant, Christine Cox, had been stuck at our office in Ross Bridge. So she was there with Patience and I enjoying a movie. So we watched Captain Phillips. How many have seen that movie? Anybody seen it? 
few, few folks. All right. So, you know, and you maybe know the story, even if you didn't see the movie. It's the story of when uh, some Somali pirates, like modern pirates, folks that try to take over a ship, took over huge tankers based on a true story uh, back, I think, 2008, 2009, that it took place. And you remember it probably being in the in the headlines. But uh, but but it's fascinating. There's an interesting movie to watch because uh, Tom Hanks is playing the captain, Captain Phillips. And Captain Phillips is interesting because the moment he sees them coming, he is working on ways that they are going to retake the ship. He knows they're going to take control of the ship because they've got guns and so forth. And the folks on this commercial freighter do not. But he's working on a plan. He's sending people out to different places on the boat to try to work on that plan to get it back. And, and the story plays out. And, of course, the, the pirates do come and they uh, take control. But the, the other folks on the crew are able to shut off lights in certain areas so the pirates can't see. And they're, they're able to close certain doors and shut down certain systems on the boat so it can't do what they want it to. And all the while, they're doing everything that they can. Captain Phillips, first and foremost among them. To try to retake the ship. He even ends up getting, uh, he sort of saves his crew really by getting taken captive, exchanging his life for them on the little rescue boat that's built onto the freighter. And they take this rescue boat and even on the rescue boat, he's trying to figure out a way and even tries to, to break free and drive into the water. He's constantly fighting. He's constantly going forward. Why is he doing that? Does he think that him unarmed uh, or his crew on this big ship, unarmed, are really going to be able to overtake these guys? He's buying time. He knows if he keeps resisting, eventually the huge force of the U.S. Navy is going to show up. And indeed they do. Battleships and destroyers and Navy SEAL snipers and you name it. In all its uh, you know, worldly, earthly power, the U.S. military shows up. He's He's trusting that that power's going to come, and so he's constantly resisting. He's constantly fighting to take back his ship. It's kind of what's taking place in this passage, what is supposed to be taking place. The people of God are sent out to, to try to take this land that God's saying is, is yours. It's for you to have. And yet we see as they try to go forward that they stumble. It's interesting, isn't it, if you look with me at verse 19, in, in chapter 1 is kind of giving you their perspective. What's, what's their story about why this did or didn't happen? Verse 19 says that they could not drive out the inhabitants because they had chariots. They had superior military technology. Jumping on down to verse 27, it says the Canaanites persisted. They just didn't want to leave. <laughs> they were not excited to be expelled from their land. They had strong resolve against it. And then we see as well that, uh, that the people compromised, verse, verses 28, really through the end of the chapter, that they took on some of these folks as, as workers for themselves. They compromised for their own sort of personal gain. We'll have these people work for us. That makes more sense than God's plan of kicking them out. Let's make them work for us and get some more stuff done accumulate some more things for us well you know it's a little bit like if you're out by the playground one day or if you've got little ones around the house and they run in from playing outside and a little youngster runs up to you maybe it's one of your children maybe the child's playing with friends or with siblings 
I know we've had this happen in our house. And, and, and the first child runs in and, and is crying, tears coming down their face. And he, he hit me and, and he didn't say he was sorry. And he, he, he did this and he shouldn't have treated me this way. And you're, you get riled up a little bit. Your blood starts to boil. I cannot believe these other children were treating this youngster this way. How could this be? And then one by one, the other eyewitnesses trickle in. And you discover there's actually a little bit more to this story. In fact, there's a whole other perspective on this story. And it really didn't play out the way the first one described it at all. Look with me at Judges chapter 2. And we see that God knows the true story, even if the people as it's described in Judges 1, have their story. He says this in verse 2, that he'll make uh, no, that they're to make no covenant. And then he says at the last part of it, you have not obeyed my voice. And then he's kind of incredulous, God is, and says, what have you done? God's message is, this isn't a matter of you telling me that you could not do it. What you're really telling me is you would not do it. You weren't willing to lay hold of my power, all that capacity that I have, and to go forward. And so the story that's in chapter 1 is excuses. Man, we, we had, we, they were tough. They wouldn't leave. Man, they had all kinds of equipment. They were, they were difficult. And why don't we just get them to work for us because that will be more efficient. God says, no, I'm not buying that story. I know what the real side of the story is in verse 3. He continues of chapter two. He says, I would I would have driven them out before you, but now there'll be thorns in your side. Application point, obviously, for us. How many places can you and I look at in our lives where we know we're supposed to be like that Captain Phillips, supposed to be doing everything we can to pursue the Lord, to walk with him, to delight in him, to resist the things that pull us away from him. And and yet, unlike him and like these people in Judges, we don't trust him. We don't look to his power. We don't look to his capacity. And so we say we cannot do that. God says, really, you will not because you can do all things through me who strengthens you. That's a challenging and pointed item for us to consider. Here's the concluding point. Remember we said the lowercase saviors in the book of Judges. We haven't even gotten to one of the judges yet. But that they point to the true Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to turn with me over to Romans, you can. I think it's listed in your worship guide as Romans chapter 4, verse 26, but really I want us to be in Romans chapter 3, verse 26. And let me just read this one verse, and then we'll conclude. It says in verse 26 of Romans chapter 3, it's describing how it is that through Christ and Christ alone, we can have righteousness. We can have this standing with God that we do not deserve. And it's also trying to explain to us how God can be just. God can have just expectations of us. Put those two things together. It says in verse 26 that all of this was to show 
God's righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, that God might be just and be the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Be the one who declares us righteous. Here's the deal. We're going to be just like the folks in Judges. We're not going to achieve all that he would have for us to be. And, and God's initial statement to us is going to be, hey, check your heart. Is it that you could not or is it that you would not? But that's not going to be the end of the story because if that's the end of the story, we're all sunk. We're all in serious trouble. The end of the story for him is going to be, yes, I'm the God who's just, who rightly asks was it could not or would not, but I'm also the God who sends Jesus Christ to rescue you by being your righteousness, by perfectly fulfilling the mission that each one of us is supposed to do. And so we can rest in him by faith. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this book. And the message we've already, I trust, begun to receive from it. And we ask, Lord, that you would really equip us through it, that these themes that we talked about today, that we'd be seeing them each week. And, Lord, we pray for those areas in our life. I know I've got a lot in mind where I say I cannot do that. And you, Lord, are bidding me to lay hold of your capacity to wrestle, to pursue, to work, to seek, to live in a way that glorifies you, to pursue the, the promised land, if you will, that you have for me and for each one here. And Lord, we do thank you for this redeemer, this rescuer that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the way that he, because he was the perfect, righteous son of God, could be a substitute for us as fully man. And could also be a sacrifice. And so that God need not change his character. He can remain just. He can have righteous expectations of us as people. And yet he can also love us. Because Jesus has been our righteousness. Help us to walk in that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.